0: For all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass, this podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. That's- hey y'all what's happening what's lacking? what's interpolating what's extrapolating what's running down and going back up what is going strong who you with how they doing how your mom and them how your brother sister them everybody good what's good with you you all right (laughs) that's one of my favorite ways to greet people you all right or if you ever hang out with me i'm always like praise the lord i think it's funny because i just think it's funny how people say that like that praise the Lord is a greeting you know it's not just a command but it functions in church world as a greeting you know like praise the Lord could be a command like hey do that give him praise praise the Lord could be an acknowledgement of celebration like the Lord God I see that you will praise the Lord you know But um, it can also be a greeting, praise the Lord. (laughs) And so I just do it all the time just because to prove that I am unnecessarily churchy in all ways. What up, y'all? Hey, here's the thing. We're going deeper into this anxiety thing that I hope has been blessing you for this month that we've been unleashing episodes and just yay for consistently putting out content that I hope is hitting you and blessing you and whatnot. So I want to talk about something interesting in this episode. Um, Again, I am fascinated with like, does God care about these things? Because I was taught they were mutually exclusive, that like it was either just pray about it and there was no conversation about the actual things I was struggling with as I was growing up. But then when I went into mental health spaces to learn about these things, there was no God anywhere like near it, at least not the way I had learned growing up. And so I that was always my question was like, do these things meet in the middle somewhere? So I asked, like, did Jesus ever talk about anxiety? You know, he talked about a lot of stuff, you know. He did the whole the whole, you know, greatest commandment of these is love type of stuff. You know, Jesus was dropping bars. And so was he ever talking about anxiety? I make the case in this episode, and I'm gonna do a part two. Yes. And I took one of the most famous parables, parables, teachings of Jesus. It's like a long block of teaching text. And for my whole life, I realized, yo, Jesus is preaching about anxiety. And if we read the text through that lens, it gives us some nuggets, some lessons, some proverbs, some bars, if you will. So I want to present to you without further ado. Here are the bars from Jesus about anxiety. I really hope you're doing well. And um, we are in the midst of election season, we are in the midst of so much going on. And so I want you to hold this dear that Jesus not only talked about it, but was giving us some tools that we could use for the rest of our lives on how to navigate this ongoing struggle that we have with anxiety. So, let us dig in. Did Jesus preach about anxiety? Sure he did. Don't believe me. Want to hear a song about it? Not a song. Want to hear a sermon about it? Here it go. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let us read Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus' teaching. Take heed that ye do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And the Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, but thou, when when thou fastest, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you appear not unto men to fast, but, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves can break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore that I be single, then thy whole body shall be full of light. But if that I be evil, if what you take in, if what you consume, watch be evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, then how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, Or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Isn't that something? Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you much better than they are? Which of you, by taking thought, by worrying, by being anxious, can add one cubit, one inch, one centimeter, millimeter unto his statue? And why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field... Which today it exists, and tomorrow it's cast into the oven. Shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith? Verse 31. "Therefore, take no thought, saying, "What shall we eat?" or what are we going to drink?" or "Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that have been mentioned before this shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow, worry about itself. Sufficient unto unto the day is the evil thereof. We've been in our series on anxiety and I shared a couple of parts ago, this breakthrough in revelation that Jesus, the son of God, Emmanuel, God with us manifested in flesh dealt with anxiety. And that's a pretty big statement, right? That that my savior as amazing and as complete and as strong as my savior is, is still familiar with what it is to deal with anxiety. So I thought we were doing pretty good, right? Jesus dealt with anxiety. That's a really nice preaching moment. But then, as I continued to read the scripture, as I continued to unpack the life of Jesus, I paused and I saw Matthew 6 in a way I've never seen it before. That here, Jesus preaches about anxiety. So I thought, I thought, you know what? I've enjoyed this and all that we've been doing it. I've I've enjoyed sharing it. I've enjoyed studying it. I've enjoyed putting together. But I figured if the man has already preached a sermon on it, perhaps we should just preach what he preached. Matthew 6, for the next few minutes I have you for. I want to show you is Jesus' critique, his advice, and his instruction from the mouth of the Savior on the answer to anxiety. If you're taking notes, I want you to title this. This is Jesus's prescription for anxiety. I've never seen this this way before. And when I did, it absolutely blessed me. I believe it's going to bless you. This is Jesus's prescription for those who deal with anxiety. Let's go verse by verse for the time that we have. I'm going to give you 14 recommendations that Jesus makes, 14 lessons, 14 instructions, 14 pieces of wisdom that Jesus gives you. You're familiar with what's happening here. Jesus gathers for what is most likely uh, his most famous sermon that he's ever preached. And Jesus gathers on a mountain and there are those who are captivated by his speech. They are captivated by the way that he engages them. They're captivated by the way he takes them and lets them in on a new way of looking at life. You're familiar with these verses from the Sermon on the Mount, verses like, let your light so shine before men. Lessons like turn the other cheek. This is where we get some of Jesus' most famous and most groundbreaking history-making words. So we come to this middle organization of scripture in chapter six. This is what Jesus says about how to deal with anxiety. Let's go to work in Matthew chapter six, verse one through four. He says, "Um, listen, when you want to do nice things, don't try to be seen. Here's answer number one. Jesus says, Stop performing for the measurement and approval of people. Write that down. Jesus' advice, when when Jesus is saying how to navigate, how do we live, how do we work through this thing? His first piece of advice is stop performing for the measurement and the approval of people. Verses 1 through 4 is where we take that from. Jesus says, when you go to do good works, don't do good works trying to be impressive. Don't do good works trying to have every little thing you do be seen. Because when you do that, you open yourself up to the anxiety of wondering whether or not people saw what you was trying to get them to see. When you open yourself up to people's praise, to people's identity, you also then live by their rejection. So he says, look, one, if you're doing it to be seen, It's not even the right motivation in the first place. Then he says, secondly, not only is it the wrong motivation, but you aren't even aware of what you've opened yourself up to by basing your identity on what people say about you. And Jesus is familiar with this because he understands that at all point, and this is what's interesting, that every time Jesus has an opportunity to do something to impress people, he doesn't. He always does it because it came from a place of I'm doing the will of my father that sent me. Because he understands that people are fickle. You might impress them today until somebody comes along who's more impressive. You might inspire them today until someone comes along who's a little bit more inspirational. And what's interesting is people's praise of us is often tied to their need for us. So the moment they no longer need you, you might not be as impressive to them. Jesus says, you're so anxious because you live for what people say. You you live to be seen. You you live so that people can look at you and go, oh, you really did that. How much freer would you be if you picked your clothes out in the morning, not caring about what people was going to say? How many of us, let's, let's take it to base level, how many of us have ever decided not to wear something because of who was going to be at the place where we was going? How many of us have ever said, they saw me in that already? How many of us have ever based, and watch this, this, this is how, how simple this is. How many of us have ever based how done up we were going to get based upon who we were going to see? If this is who I'm going to be, I ain't got to put on makeup today. I ain't got to put no cologne on, if they, but if so-and-so is there, I'm going to take this whole 45 minutes. How many of us have ever bragged, be honest, about prayer time? About prayer time? Have ever told, I, I just got out of prayer. Just, you know, I just, we, we, we was in church today, just, just four hours. We really, Jesus saying, your anxiety is partly tied to the fact that you live for people. And I'm, I'm very concerned about every generation as it relates to this, because I think we have this belief that this somehow just became a crisis with social media. No, it, it, it didn't. We, we've always been sort of concerned about, and, and even though it wasn't necessarily tied to posts and likes and number of friends, before, there was a period of time where it mattered how your house looked against the house that was next to yours. There, there, was no social media, but but do you remember there was a time where we were concerned about like whose grass was cut and how. Did anybody else uh, grow up in a neighborhood where y'all used to compete over Christmas decorations? He's like, oh, we got we got some lights you ain't seen this year. And so I'm, I'm concerned for every generation how we we become so obsessed with how we look to them. That that creates an inner disturbance, a lack of inner peace, because our concern all the time is how does this look? And Jesus says, don't don't do your charity. That's what the word alms in the King James. it, It literally means your charity. The good things you do for people. Don't do that to be seen. Because then you might be killed when that rejection comes. Just as fast as the affirmation did. Lesson one is stop performing for the measurement and approval of people. Lesson two is taken from verse five and six. Lesson two is this. Learn the value of genuine alone time. Lesson two, learn the value of genuine alone time. Verse five and six says, and when you pray, don't, don't pray all out in the open. But he says, enter into your secret closet. Watch this. When you're praying in front of people, your mind ain't even on God, it's on the people. And it is reflective of not just people, but it is reflective of our habit of not being able to spend time alone without thinking about our list of all these other things. Jesus says, you you need to learn the value of stealing away for a little bit. You you need to learn the value of saying no to some stuff that can really be done tomorrow. You you need to learn the value of deciding that you and God are going to spend time together. Not accidental time. Not like I was on my way to sleep and just started praying. Not I woke up and somebody was praying on TV, so I decided to agree with them via television and count that as my prayer time. He says, no, no. When you make a discipline of learning to be comfortable alone, you will have the benefit of that recharge space. For some of us, the anxiety is not that there's too much going on or happening. The anxiety is that we don't spend enough time alone. It amazes me, and I don't have time to unpack it, that Jesus made a practice all the time of going by himself. And the gospel writers would make mention, and he went up into a mountain to pray, and he went off by himself. He went down into the depths of the sea that Jesus understood that he was sent for the people, but still needed time to recharge as the Son of God. In that recharge time, I I need to be able to pray and hear God's voice, not yours. I, I need to be able to pray and know that the advice that comes from my prayer time came from God, not from what I was thinking or listening to or around. And so he says, if if you want to be in a space that is not anxious, learn the value of genuine alone time. Lesson number three. Lesson number three comes from verses seven and eight. This is lesson number three. The answer to anxiety. Remember that your needs are already known. Lesson number three. Remember that your needs are already known. In verse 7, he says, when you do pray, don't use a lot of vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they're going to be heard because of how much they say. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Please do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. If you will do it, Lord. He's like, no, no, listen. He says, they, they think they're going to be heard because of how much they say and how intricate their prayers are and how amazing and, and, and how, how much they've put into it, how eloquent it is. He says, no, don't be like them. But why does he say you don't have to say all that much? Because your father knows what you have need of before you ask. And a lot of our anxiety is tied to the fact that we don't really believe that our needs are known. If God knows I need it, then why am I stressed about it? If God knows I need it, why have I made this my job to figure all this out? If God knows what my child needs, then why do I allow myself all the time to stay up at night? If, if God knows my health condition, if God knows who I'm going to need at what point in my life, if God knows who my mentor will be, if God knows who my spouse will be, if God knows where, what city I'm supposed to end up in, then why do I allow? And what God wants us to understand is that there is a freedom in having it in your heart that he knows what I need. I invite you to bring that into your prayer time. God, you know what I need. You know. You, you know. That's why I don't have to stress. And because you know what I need, and this is the beautiful part about it, you know what I need, and then you know exactly how to meet that need, and you love me enough to do it. Lesson number three is know that your needs are already known. Lesson number four comes from verse nine. In verse nine, he says, all right. After this manner, here's how you ought to pray. He goes to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lesson number four is this. Remember the reverence of God. Remember the reverence of God. And your relationship with God. Okay. Remember those two things. That's lesson number four. Remember the reverence of God your relationship with God. Jesus teaches us to pray. Our father, which art in heaven, our father, which art in heaven. I love it that before I talk about where he at, I talk about who he is to me. That is my access point. That God is my father. That that shapes the whole way I'm about to approach prayer. Is that? Yeah. You know, sometimes there it is. It is my understanding of God as father that doesn't make God feel so far away. I'm going to say that again. It is my understanding of God as father that doesn't make God feel so far away. God's not inaccessible. God, God's not somewhere out here and I, and I got to try to fight for it and hope that he comes. No, no, no. God's my father. So that's the relationship piece. But then I remember the reverence of God. That, that God is my father, and, and I love him, but God is my father, so I respect him. Our father, which art in heaven, put some respect on God's name. Our, our father, you're close enough to me, but, but you're in heaven. You're larger than I am. And I live in both those realities. That Jesus is, is that the Bible calls, uh, the Bible says Abraham was a friend of God. That God occupies that seat of being friend and judge. Father and ruler, this is the great mystery of what it is to serve God. And Jesus says, look, when you pray, remember that. Remember that because of my relationship with God, I already know I'm going to be taken care of. But because of my reverence of God, when I think about how big God is, it makes me see my problem for how small it really is. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, cancer, what you got after that? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, respected, revered, holy, precious, set apart, respected be your name. Okay, Bills, what y'all got after that? Jesus says, when you pray in that, you realize, I I I have nothing to stress about because God is my father, number one. And God is so big. God is so ginormous. God is so larger than this life that I'm no longer bound by the things I thought I had to stress about. Let me pause here and say that I often have to have these kind of discussions with people in my generation. There is a growing desire um, to make God less specific. So there are a lot of people that want to use God, but not necessarily God as understood through Jesus Christ, if that makes sense. They want to be able to say God as some sort of distant, ominous thing. So there are people who will use God and the universe interchangeably or God and energy or God and the system and all that kind of stuff. And I love what Jesus does here by saying our father, because whenever people, whenever I go into conversations and I want to explain why I'm very specific about the God that I serve, it's because the universe is not personal. Let me say it again. The universe is not personal. So whenever people say the universe is in my favor like, wow. Pretty profound. You know how large the universe is? Without the specificity, how how do you have a relationship with the universe? I'm serious. D- does it talk? D- does it move? I'll, I'll raise you one. How has the universe expressed itself? Jesus says, our Father, which art in heaven. I have a God, and the reason why I address God as such is because God. Even though God doesn't have to, God has chosen to make God's self personal to me. He gave me a whole book so that he could know I've chosen to communicate with you. He sent his son so that he could show I've chosen to reveal myself in the flesh to you. I have paid for the ransom so that we can be in relationship. Now, that's the reason why I got to make sure that we're talking about a specific God and the name Jesus Christ. That ought to free up some anxiety. I have a personal relationship with the deity that I serve. I'm not just waiting on stuff to align. I, you know, people crack me up when they talk about having to like wait on Mercury being in retrograde. Man, I ain't got the kind of time <laughs> to be hoping that star, I need something that is sure. I, I need a level of decidedness about what I can understand. And Jesus produces that when he says, when you pray, address God as father. Remember the reverence of God, that respect, and your relationship with God. God is personal, and God has made God's self-available to me. We've got to move on. I've got so much more to give you. Lesson five, release the desire to have everything in your own order. Release the desire to have everything in your own order. Verse 10, Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it already is in heaven. So Jesus says, if you want a real easy flow in your life, let the water start as it already is in heaven. And then just let it flow on through your life. I want you to imagine that, right? Imagine the will of God being that imagery in our own life, right? That that it starts up there and my job is just let it flow on through me. But then when we decide that we want our own order, not the divine order of God, we literally operate as a dam, as a blockage to the water that's trying to flow from heaven through our life because it's like, oh, God, I wanted that my way. And so oftentimes anxiety is just a manifestation of two wills colliding. Whoa, okay. I don't have time for this. We should imagine this imagery they used to teach me. In science, and because I'm not a really good scientist, I might butcher this, <laughs> but I'm going to go for it anyway because I see it. They taught me that the way earthquakes were produced were by these things called tectonic plates, stay with me, that operate under the ground. That's the best I got, okay? They're like further than that. If you know this better, God bless you, okay? When they collide, earthquake, okay? I'm going to just stop there, okay? Just for the sake of the imagery. When they collide some of the motion that we feel is because of how those tectonic plates edged and grinded against one another. It could create different things, right? So what if the earthquakes we've experienced in our lives were because two wills collided? Maybe if my will and God's had been running together, wouldn't have been no earthquakes. But maybe because God said, my will go this way, and I was like, well, my will go this way, and all of a sudden... We just kept opposing one another until something had to give ten times out of ten times. He says, pray thy kingdom come because, Lord, your your will is better. Your order is better. Whatever you have going on up there that you plan for my life is better than what I could plan for my own. So part of our anxiety is because we believe that our plans are greater than God's. But when you choose your plan, you're responsible for making your plan happen. And that's where anxiety kicks in. A lot of us are undergoing um, some stress that was not due for us because we chose to do it our way. God says, had you submitted to my way, my way didn't come with this level of stress. Oh my, I don't have time. I have so many more lessons. A lot of what we're going through is just the pain of an unsubmitted life. It's not that... What God had for you was supposed to come with all this. A lot of our pain is just the pain we feel from not saying yes. It's almost, there it is. It's the stress that comes from resistance. There it is. There it is. That's the anxiety we feel. I got to move on. Lesson five, release the desire to have everything in your own order. Lesson number six, take life one day at a time. If I had time, I'd, I'd sing that. It's one of my favorite songs. One day at a time, dear Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. Give me the strength, the strength to do what I must do. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow may never be mine. So Lord, for my sake, help me to take one day at a time. In verse 11, he says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I've even had to to pray, you know, for this. I, I believe in stewardship. I believe in financial planning. I really do. I've, I've had to pray that the right motives in me are always present when I'm doing financial future planning because Jesus taught me to be concerned about today. And maybe that means that we're sowing seeds for the future, but not obsessing over years and times to come. We just saying, Lord, I thank you that you provided for today. Give me what I need for today. How many of us are going through like an undue amount of anxiety over things like properties, monies, retirements, all types of things. We are like 15 years out and obsessed. And God's like, I, I appreciate your stewardship because I did call you to that. But if you're anxious over it, you're like, Lord, thank you for today. Lesson number seven. Forgiveness is the art of releasing. Forgiveness is the art of releasing which makes space for peace. Lesson number seven is that forgiveness is the art of releasing, which makes space for peace. Many times the reason why we don't forgive is because we want to hold on to offense, anger, bitterness, or we want to hold on to having something to hold over someone else's head. Sometimes we like to be offended because it guarantees us an opportunity to something later on. Sometimes we like to be offended because we know that this is going to be great fuel for an argument about three weeks from now. Sometimes we hang on to stuff because I want to be able to know that I'm above you in morality. You slipped up in this area, so I'm going to hold on to, well, at least I didn't do this. But what we miss when we don't forgive is that, again, we can say this over and over and over again. It's not about the other people. It's not about their pardoning of their sins. It is about your capacity to have healthy living because you have space to love again. When you don't forgive, all that stuff you're harboring is taking the place of the good stuff you need in order to keep going. So where there should be love, there's anger. And you ain't got enough space for both. And we think we do, and oftentimes it's not revealed to us how much space is not there until you get another chance to do something. But whatever's in that heart comes up, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't even. You go for a new relationship and realize that there's still so much anger you can't even love the new person because you're still mad at the old one you go to work, you need to be, especially for my creatives and your work requires you to, to be mentally sound in there. And then you go to do that creative thing. You go into that meeting and realize that your creative juices aren't flowing because you still like processing and overstepping and overworking what someone did because you don't have the space. So sometimes forgiveness is not about, do I think you deserve to be forgiven? No, It's about how much space in me do I need to do what I got to do? In my life, I need all my mental space. Between preaching and, and playing and leading folks and brand management and future, like, I, I need it all. I need every, I need, I need more. I'm trying to figure out how do you buy more brain sales. If anybody's figured that out, you let me know. I'm trying to figure out who can I pay, like, where do they sell that so that I can, I just need, like, three more shelves so that I can really accurately, I, I, I just don't have the space, and so I believe that Jesus, even more than demonstrating, because it's about the kingdom, he's showing us what kingdom living is, but I believe that Jesus is also helping us that this is what healthy living looks like. In verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. I think it's interesting because there's a clause there that says, here's is interesting. Jesus teaches us to pray, God, do unto me as I do unto them. It's in the text. It says, forgive us as we forgive. So I got a question for you. If God treated you the way you treat others, would you be satisfied with that treatment? I think it's interesting because usually it's like, okay, I'm going to do unto others as God has done to me. Gonna, you know, God's going to go first. and then we... But there's an interesting shift here. Forgive us as we forgive. So forgiveness is the art of releasing. I don't have the emotional, mental, spiritual space to hold on to this stuff. Because I got stuff to do. And so a lot of our anxiety is because of sometimes our unwillingness to acknowledge certain things. Our unwillingness to release certain things. Our unwillingness to put an end to certain things. Because I believe that, it, oh, I'm trying to teach this. I would love to talk about how an ending is a part of forgiveness. That forgiveness without closure is incomplete. Oh, I've opened it up. Jesus says, he blots out our transgressions. And he says that for his own sake, he remembers our sins no more. Is that what it said? For his own sake. So, in keeping with the space thing, he says, Look, I'm not trying to store my anger over your sins, because that's where the grace and mercy need to go. He says, it, it ain't even about you just being worthy of forgiveness. For because I want to be in a relationship with you, I can't remember all the mess you've done against my will and hold all that, and we do relationship to be the God who is maintaining all of the things when you are in me. So one, he says, look, I'm making space. I'll give your sins for my own sake. Remember, remember them no more. But as God is remembering them no more, I love when Bishop talks about somebody trying to bring up something that he did when he wasn't saved, and he literally tells them, I don't remember that. Well, did it? No, he's like, no, I, I don't remember that. And, and it's not playing dumb. It is the act of, watch this, I've placed closure around that season. That if I've been forgiven, then why do I still need to entertain the me that was forgiven? That, that's why, so this is why I believe that closure is an important part of forgiveness. It's about releasing, like one, acknowledge that it happened, call it out. Because, oh, I would, um, this is not a sermon on forgiveness. The interesting thing about forgiveness is that most people believe that forgiveness is some sort of washing over as that it didn't happen. But all forgiveness begins with acknowledging that a sin was committed. No forgiveness is necessary without acknowledging the severity of the sin that was committed. So the first must be an acknowledgement of what was done wrong. And then there is a releasing of, hey, I, I release the fact that I could hold on to this how it impacted me, what happened, and the consequences that follow. Not because you deserve to be pardoned, but because I need the space. But now let's wrap some closure around this so that it's not opened up again. And that could mean different things in different seasons, right? Perhaps we experience anxiety because we haven't placed enough closure around things that we said we forget. Closure looks different in different spaces. Sometimes closure means we don't talk about that no more. We still good, but we hash this out. We don't talk about it. It's that. Sometimes closure means what Bishop was saying. I don't even know that person, whether that's me or another offense. I love that Jesus doesn't guarantee that forgiveness has to mean that the relationship continues after doesn't mean that after everything that I forgive that that necessarily means that we got to be joined at the hip. That that might be a part of the closure. That maybe the anxiety is present because we still allow people who have dedicated themselves to a particular pattern. or Who've shown no, because remember, true repentance is a matter of having your mind change about what you did. True repentance says that there's a turning to repent means to turn. So maybe it means that I'm able to look at something and change the way I feel like I did it, but I don't agree with that. Like that's the beginning of true repentance. So then if someone has not modeled that yet, our responsibility is to forgive, but not to entertain the same space. There's not been true. repentance. Jesus says, particularly who he's talking to because he's talking to religious people. Your desire to always want to hold stuff, it's not going to penalize them. It's just going to make you heavy. And what's funny is we think like we hold stuff over people's head and they be going to live like all other life. They done remarried and got rich and, you know, they halfway don't remember our names. They done blocked our number, you know. It's, uh, every time I see you, All right. I'm going to stop here. I've got seven more to give you. I'll, I'll pick it up next month. You can almost guess the other seven. That'll be your homework in between now and next month. So I want you to take a look at the rest of Matthew 6. And I want you to read it through that lens. For what he's preaching, how is this a message and a word to my anxiety? Jesus says, listen, I want you to live a free and abundant life. we go, you might say, well, where'd you get this from? How do we know? How can we look at it this way? Look at verse 31. He says, therefore, now, as a result of all that, in conclusion, therefore, take all that I just said and apply it to this summary statement. So he's about to sum up what he's been talking about for all these last few verses. Therefore, in conclusion, here's the big idea, wrapping it all up. Therefore, take no thought. Now we just read that and we just don't think about it. That's not what it is. When you translate that into the Greek, it literally means don't be anxious. Jesus said, don't be anxious. Wow. Jesus said, all that I just told you, this is to give you the tools to live in a way so that you're not anxious about tomorrow. Everybody stand up and pray for you before we go. Have you been blessed this morning? Was any of that helpful? Jesus presents tools for living, and we've gone through a number of them. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about breathing. We've talked about panic attacks. We've talked about health a little bit talked about therapy and counseling we talked about meeting the needs on all three levels We talked about knowing that jesus dealt with it we we talked about all those things we talked about removing the lies about anxiety so that we can really stand in the truths about what god says about it and what god desires for us now we hear from jesus who gives his take who says i love you and i want what's best for you and i want to give you these things if you just keep this in mind you can live a free and whole life and have life more abundantly. God, here we are saying thank you that you know what we have need of before we ask. Ooh, there it is. Just, just for those, just say, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. <laughs> oh, Lord, you know. I invite you for the rest of this week to just, to just pray that and allow that to free you from anxiety. Lord, you know. You know these bills. You know this family situation. You know this city. You know, you know this election, you know this city, you know this job. Lord, you know, you know, waiting on the doctor's report and you don't know what it is, but you got to look up and say, Lord, you know, I don't know what they're going to come back with, but Lord, you know, wait on a verdict from the lawyer, Lord, you know, wait no more money to come in. Lord, you know, future of our church, Lord, you know, who will I marry? Lord, you know, I'm gonna get out of this. Lord, you know. Father, we thank you that this morning we've been affirmed and reconfirmed, that you know what we need, and you will take care of us. So, Lord, thank you for what you're going to do through this service. We release this to you. We thank you that if we will apply these principles that you taught us in Matthew 6, we will tap into life and life more abundantly. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. There you have it, y'all. Jesus was spitting bars. like Jesus was really dropping all the gems that we don't even think about. And uh, I really, really, really am encouraged to me to know that my faith and my struggles with mental health don't have to be on polar opposite sides of the world. But in fact, Jesus, 2000 years before my experience with this earth, knew about it, spoke to it, stood up for it. And so I'm really, really, really grateful. Really, really, really grateful. Grateful to God. Grateful to Jesus for Jesus. And so... Uh, I want to do something I haven't done in a minute. I want to pray for you before I let you go today, that the teachings of Jesus would strengthen you and inspire you in ways that maybe they haven't before. Maybe you haven't ever really studied what Jesus said, not just who he was. Um, Or maybe you have, but it hasn't become personal to these other aspects of your life. So I just want to pray for you really quickly. Um, God in heaven, I thank you that you are everything that we need. And as we study you, we figure out that that is not just a statement of faith. It is an actual truth that in you we find every aspect of our experience spoken to, identified with, comforted. And um, we thank you that the Bible contains a lot of what we need. To be able to understand all the ways that you relate to us and speak to us and are here with us in life. So Lord, I thank you that in this Sermon of the Mount, you weren't just talking about kingdom and church principles. You were talking about principles for our mental and emotional health, and I give you glory for that. I pray that the person listening to me right now would internalize those truths, that they would take them as mantras and life lessons, that you would give them strength to know that they are not alone and that you've provided tools and wisdom for us to now turn to the how. We've unpacked the what and the why, but Lord God, you gave us strength and resources to know about the how, that if we do these things, we can walk in states of peace, states of strength, and states of encouragement. I give you glory and honor and praise for your great name and your great power. In Jesus' name, amen. I love y'all so much. Again, thank you for listening. Please, please, please uh, share this with someone. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for sending it to people. My ultimate hope is that people are being blessed. That's all I want from this podcast is that people hear this stuff and they go, whoa, I've been waiting for content like this to help um, get me free, to help me feel seen, but also point it to the direction of something and more importantly, someone who can help me as we say all the time with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation. Keep building family.